Coming up, I'll share three characteristics that make a great goal. Figure this out, and you'll change your growth. Then Gen Z wants to ditch corporate jobs for their own company. And then our company's lowering salaries. Let's go. Welcome to the Ken Coleman Show, where we help you win in your work life. In other words, we help you use what you do best to do work you love to produce results that matter to you, and you're going to experience more money, enough money, and certainly more meaning. Let's go. So let's talk about goal setting. You know, as we start to head into uh, a new year, people are going to start thinking about resolutions, and I think resolutions are bad science. A lot of data out there about how ineffective they are, but I tell you what is not bad, and that are and those are goals. And so, goal setting can be a little intimidating. It can also get into the weeds. You know, a lot of people start talking about goal setting, and then they've got seventeen things and six systems, and a lot of complexity around goal setting. And I think that that goal setting is actually pretty simple and should remain simple. But there are characteristics of what I would call a great goal, a goal that is absolutely in alignment with who you are and is set up for you to win. I'm not talking about super simple, little easy goals. I'm talking about the characteristic characteristics, there's three, of a goal that will ensure progress and set you up to achieve great things, you determining great. So let's walk through those characteristics. Uh, before I get into this, I want to talk about focus. So when I was writing my last book, From Paycheck to Purpose, I was diving into focus and I found some interesting research about world-class athletes. And Serena Williams is the example that I chose to write about in the book. Obviously, one of the greatest tennis players of all time. Crazy good athlete. Um, I've had the privilege of interviewing Ben Zobrist, who was the MVP of the World Series for the Chicago Cubs. And and I remember interviewing Ben and talking to him about a Randy Johnson fastball. I think Randy Johnson's six seven at the time. I think you know he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's not already in. And he was clocking fastballs at 99 miles an hour, sometimes over 100 miles an hour. And from 60 feet, 6 inches, I'm sitting there going, what does that look like? I can't even process what a 99-mile-an-hour fastball looks like. I see it on TV, but that's different. I'm I'm talking like you're up there, bat on the shoulder, and you're trying to hit a 99-mile-an-hour fastball coming at you from 60 feet. So... As he described it to me, I'll never forget, Ben said, by the time the ball has left his hand, you're already reacting as to what you're doing. It's not like you're, when the ball's moving 99 miles an hour, you're not waiting until, you know, the ball's five feet from you to swing. It's impossible. You can't get around on it. And so I said to him, I said, you're telling me that as soon as Randy Johnson's arm comes through and lets go of a 99-mile-an-hour fastball, you are deciding almost instantly to swing at that ball? And he goes, yeah. And I said, so i got to ask you a question. Could I get around on a 99-mile-an-hour fastball? And he started laughing. He's like, no, you, you wouldn't even get the bat off your shoulder. Yeah, I'm standing up there, okay. 
and the ball would literally be like, pow, in the catcher's mitt before I even is be like, pow, pow, you know? So I then said to him, and by the way, I agree with him. And I said to him, I said, so is it as simple as you and other Major League Baseball players have better eye reaction, better vision, all of He goes, yeah, that has to be it. Back to the study and Serena Williams. So the study cited Serena Williams as an example of a world-class athlete and what world-class athletes like Serena Williams, Ben Zobrist have that I don't have and you don't have if you're not a world-class athlete is their eyes have the ability to focus splits of second of a second longer than than my eye can. So we're talking about quick, but they can hold focus their eyes. So it's not just you hear things like hand-eye coordination. Guess what? World premier elite athletes, their eyes can hold focus on the ball longer than regular people. And so I thought to myself, that's pretty amazing. So I want to talk about a goal in terms of the three characteristics of of a goal, a great goal, is in terms of focus, our ability to hold our eye on the prize in order to accomplish the goal. So we aren't world-class athletes, but we can make sure that we are setting goals with these three characteristics. Here they are. Number one, the goal has to be clear enough to help you stay focused. See, the world-class athlete can see that tennis ball, baseball, football. They can see it better than we see it. And so a great goal must be really crystal clear so that you can keep focused on it. The fuzzier the goal, i.e., the more general, the less specific the goal, the harder it is to stay focused on it. But the clearer the goal, the goal must be crystal clear so that you see it clearly and it burns an image in your mind and you can keep your eye on it. Two, the goal must be close enough that you can reach it. Is there anything more frustrating than trying to reach for something? And you just can't get to it. And you try and you try and you keep reaching. And you're going, I can't, I can't get to it. What do you do? You eventually just go, oh, I can't get it. I can't get it. Can't tell you how many times my kids would drop something in our car. You know what I'm talking about? In that really hard to get area. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. And you try to do the old, let me get my aunt hand down in there. And you're like, oh, I can see it. Ah, 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 ah. And, and, and after struggling and striving to get it, you now realize you can't get there. And so what do you do? It's gone. It's gone, kids. And we quit. It's really important that the goal be close enough that you can reach it. And then third, it needs to be important enough to keep you committed. You ever seen somebody lose a lot of weight? 
or get over substance addiction, change their marriage, or work themselves out of poverty. Let me tell you what's going on. The goal is so clear that their eyes can't gaze away. The goal is the next step of the goal. It's like I can get there. It's reachable. I have to do some hard work. I've got to be disciplined. I've got to stay with it. But I can actually get there. It's it's right here. I can. It's right in front of me. I can hit the ball. I can do what it takes to reach the goal. That's what makes a great goal. And it is so important. It's a conviction, if you will. It's not I should do it. It is I must. I must. There's a different emotion attached to that. I should. I must. Big difference. So the goal must be so important to you. It's heart. Heart level. You care deeply about the goal. It's not a, I'd like to accomplish this. No, it is, I must accomplish this goal. And what will happen is, I will stay with it. So quick review. A great goal. A great goal must have these three characteristics. If it doesn't, it's not the right goal. And it'll never get you where you want. But if it is crystal clear so that you're maniacally focused, if it is close enough that you can actually, it is gettable, it is achievable, it's not impossible. People that tell you, oh, you need an impossible goal or it's not big enough, they're idiots. They're complete idiots. That's a recipe for frustration and desperation. The goal must be achievable. And then finally, it must be really important so that you will stay the course. Those three characteristics are how you know that it's a great goal and it is worthy of pursuit. This is the Ken Coleman Show. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Don't we all need help being better? And they're great at it. You know, we all carry around a lot of stress from our family life and our professional life, and it can just hit us at the same time. Big stuff, small stuff. And we can talk to our friends, or maybe you have a great relationship with a leader at work or a coworker, but you may not feel comfortable telling them everything. I know I wouldn't. And when we keep things bottled up, it will eventually leak out, and it's really negative. But therapy, it's a safe space to get everything off your chest with an unbiased professional and figure out how to work through stuff that's weighing you down. So if you've thought of therapy before, you're thinking about it now, please try BetterHelp. Therapy isn't just for people who've gone through trauma. It's great to build skills, to become better personally and professionally. And BetterHelp is flexible enough to fit your busy schedule because it's completely online. All you do is fill out a short questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no extra cost. It's time to get stuff off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ken today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ken.
You were created to fill a unique role in your work. You are needed and you must do it. Somebody out there needs you to show up and be you. And we're here to help you do that. If you're enjoying the show, if it is helping you, will you help us help more people? You can do that by liking the videos on YouTube, subscribing and sharing. Same thing on podcast app. Uh, Give us a five-star review, follow us and share. Okay, new data out. 50% of Gen Z wants to ditch their corporate gig and they want to start their own business. Yay, Gen Z. I love this. This is great news. I'm not saying they're all going to be successful, uh, but I like that they are entrepreneurial and they are considering it. I think that no matter the generation, this isn't limited to Gen Z, but any generation. So whatever the generation is going to be behind Gen Z, what I would love to see for the future of our country is to see entrepreneurship get the same treatment as college. I would love to see entrepreneurship elevated and glorified to the level that we do a college education. I think they ought to be equal. So you go, well, you know, college, you know how we talk about college, 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 college. What if we talked about entrepreneurship the way that we talk about college? I think it'd be great because I think it would get more kids who actually want to start a business, who should start a business to raise their hand instead of getting churned through the college sausage maker and come out on the other side going, well, what was that all about? So let's dive into this and more in a moment on if you are Gen Z or the parent of Gen Z, uh, how you can figure out if entrepreneurship is the path for you. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, This report from Samsung and Morning Consult surveyed over 1,000 Gen Zers, age 16 to 25, and revealed that they are increasingly disillusioned with a traditional job, and they want more flexibility and more options. The rising popularity of social media, such as TikTok and Instagram and YouTube, has in fact created a new class of entrepreneurs called creators. The creator economy, the creator class. And of course, I'm sure you're aware of these stories. It could be everything from a kid making millions of dollars playing with toys. I remember when my daughter was younger, she'd watch these girls on YouTube that were playing with puppets and these silly little toys. Getting millions of views of these girls just going, I like the way this toy does this. Boom. Right? If you can attract an audience, you can attract sponsorships. So, uh, Gen Z has grown up seeing this, and they're so online. Their life is online, so it's not a big leap. And so they're looking at all this going, well, could it be me? Could I do this? And so we see TikTok stars, YouTube stars, all young, who can create and make money. And so that is, in fact entrepreneurial so gen z is sitting here going why not me why not me can i do it so let's talk about their thoughts and their influences and their choices Uh, over half of the respondents to this study said they believe they are neurodiverse. Now you go, what in the world does neurodiversity mean? What is that? Uh, What it means is, 
is that the way they think about subjects is pretty vast and it and it covers a, a, a wide range. So in other words, they don't think about work as a traditional nine to five over a 40 year period. That would be an example of neurodiverse. Okay. And so they don't want to do things the way that the parents did it or their grandparents did it. Okay. And so as a result, they look at things and we see work, uh, those of us, so I'm Gen X, uh, certainly uh, boomers, uh, look at work as a, a very clear construct. All right. So I go do this job. I work X amount of hours per week, per month, per year. Hopefully I do a good job. I get promoted. And then I go to this, to this, to this. And that's my path. Got to get a good job with good health benefits. And these young people are like, they're not even thinking about 401ks and health benefits. They're going, I want to be flexible to work how I want when I want, where I want. And they are growing up in an age, in an era, where that has become increasingly possible to set that. You know, we see things like digital nomads. Now, let's just say that you are a a marketing specialist, a graphic designer, a social media specialist, whatever. Pick, pick the job. And because you have a cell phone and a laptop, you can take care of all the communication that you need. You can do all the work that you need to do wherever you have an internet signal. So you could be in a library one day, a coffee shop the next. You could be around the world. You can work in the U.S. And, and work for three weeks from Argentina. As long as you get the work done and you're checking in. So obviously we know this, but what we don't realize is, is that this younger generation that's all they know is that I can effectively do what you want me to do, need me to do. I can do it from anywhere. And when your mindset, that's your whole context on work, then you aren't limited by tradition. You, you, you just aren't limited. Whereas you take somebody my age, I'm 49 years of age. I'm somewhat limited as to, I mean, now I see it, but I mean, growing up, I was limited to the way we did work when I was growing up. You went to an office to work unless you were in a construction job or uh, you're out in the field, but everybody went to work. And that's what you did, right? And and pre-laptops and cell phones, I mean, you were completely tethered to the office. This generation isn't. So parents of Gen Z, Gen Zers who are watching or listening to me, I want to pivot to say, I love this, but I want you to be able to think through, if you want to be an entrepreneur, I want you to assess whether or not you're really cut out for it, okay? And then, how do we come up with the idea? So this is just real quick, going to go through this really quick, okay? Number one, you have to ask yourself, are you motivated enough, are you disciplined enough to be your own boss? When it's your company, you're the chief everything officer for a season. You just are. I don't care if it's a TikTok channel, a YouTube channel. I don't care what it is. You are in charge of you. You're in charge of everything. And so there needs to be a level of discipline 
a level of maturity. If you're a young person going, I want to work for myself, you have to ask yourself, are you cut out for it? Do you have the makeup to start your business, work for yourself, do what has to be done when it has to be done? Because there's no one else to do it. That's the first thing. Secondly, what's your idea? What is your idea? What's your idea for business? How are you coming up with it? If you just say, well, I want to make videos, I'm just going to try that. Sure, that's okay. But it'd be better off you looking at business as a solution. So whatever your business is, however you deliver the benefit of the business, which by the way, it's either a product or a service. Okay? Even YouTube, TikTok, that's a service. You are providing entertainment. You are providing expertise. You are providing opinion. That would be more service versus a product where someone pays you and you exchange a commodity, a product with them. That's what it is. So you have to ask yourself, what problem or desire is my business, product or service, solving? That's where the good ideas come from. Because then you say, okay, if I want to create a YouTube channel, is this, are these videos meeting a desire or solving a problem? That's what it has to come down to. And, and once you figure that out, you go, okay, well, what's the best way to go about this? And that's where you begin to determine, okay, I'm going to get in the product side of things or I'm going to get in the service side of things. So that's how you figure out, Gen Z, whether or not this is the right path for you. Don't just think, well, entrepreneurship because of flexibility and freedom. Well, you could be broke, but you'll be flexible. This is the Ken Coleman Show. Let's give you an update on where we are in the job market. It's very important. Very interesting economic data out right now. The U.S. added uh, 336,000 jobs in September. Um, that was better than August. And I and I revealed this recently in so a quick review. Uh, unemployment stayed at 3.8%. Again, very, very low. Historically lowest that we've ever seen is 3.4. Average hourly earnings up 4.2% from year over year, September to September. Um, interestingly enough, that was the slimmest gain since June 2021. So that tells me that salary bumps um, are slowing down. More on that in a moment. So... We're in this weird economy where we are adding more jobs. Most of these were government jobs and then in travel and leisure, leisure hospitality. So this is not across the board. We're seeing a lot of tech jobs still getting cut. Okay. So the question is, what will the Fed do? Now, Jerome Powell has said multiple times that the reason they raised interest rates is they were trying to create a little bit of pain in the economy and they wanted to see unemployment jump a little bit. And I said, this is nuts, but th this was the goal so that we would see consumer spending slow, 
as a result of people losing their jobs and unemployment bumping up a little bit. And so that's what cools inflation traditionally. Well, all these interest rates have slowed inflation. Sure, it's still too high. It's still too high. Fed said this very clearly. Well, now we're seeing treasury yields going higher. So without nerding out on treasury yields, let me explain what drives mortgage rates up. When Jerome Powell raises the interest rates, the Fed rate, that does not move the mortgage needle. What it does is when he raises interest rates, it raises the rates on the government's treasury bonds, which is how the government raises money to fund itself. So you can buy and invest, if you will, into government bonds. So essentially, the government borrows money from its own people. Okay, And so the Fed's interest rate, when they raise that, it raises the rate on the bonds. Okay, And so that has an impact. And the way our debt is structured, when the yields go up, interest rates on mortgages go up. Okay, so that's how that plays out. So the 10-year Treasury yield rose to 4.78%. And it's nearly the highest level since August of 2007. As a result, the average 30-year mortgage rate um, was in the high sevens. The last time we saw mortgage rates that high was December of 2000. Now, Here's why I don't want you to get too comfortable with the job market, because the job market's still really good as it relates to unemployment. The labor market, if you look historically, and I and again, I know you all don't pay attention to this, I do it for you. The labor market is always a lagging indicator. That can go from good to bad quickly. And the reason is, is because it 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 when you see negative economic indicators doesn't always play out in the job market right away. It takes time to sift through. Companies are making decisions based on interest rates and, and, and how much it costs to do business. And so as those indicators come out first negatively, it starts to cycle its way through to where all of a sudden, boom, you start to see job layoffs. And it can happen fast. So if you look at the past... In August 2008, we saw job losses start to mount. And that was as a result of the negative economic indicators at the end of 2007. So it took about a half year. Just to give you some historical context. Just before the financial crisis took hold in 08, the Labor Department had reported the economy shed 463,000 jobs over the previous seven months. Now they've revised that data, and you look back on it, it was almost a million jobs lost. So this job hopping, moving around, and trying to just prospect, don't keep counting on that environment. That's my point. That's a warning. Have additional streams of income. Have connections and options queued up. Because we don't know where this job economy is going over the next 6 to 12 months. But some of the indicators would reveal, if historic trends hold, that we are going to see some pain in the job market in 2024. That's just a warning. 
be ready. We're going to be here for you. Okay? But just be ready. Now, another very interesting and relevant development. Headline from CNBC. Some companies lower salaries in job postings as pay transparency laws take effect. Now, what is a pay transparency law? So we've seen a lot of laws now starting to pop up across the country where the laws are requiring employers, companies, to disclose the salary ranges in job descriptions. This is not across the board, and I think this is bad policy. I'll explain in a moment. But the law, and some of these states are saying, if they've got an opening marketing position and they put it on the website, what they've got to do is, at a minimum, post a salary range. So let's say they would post a salary range and they said that the, the, the range of salary is sixty dollars to $75,000. They have to put that out there. And the idea behind the law is people need to know. They need to know ahead of time what the position pays. That's only right. Well, here's what happens. If we're posting salary ranges, then everybody else knows what you're making. And that creates all kinds of awkwardness. More on that in a second. After two years of increasing wages, some companies are now leaving some jobs unfilled because employees want more than the company is prepared to offer. The growth of advertised wages for new hires is slowing, according to a new job report from ZipRecruiter. And companies are now posting lower pay ranges. So they're going, all right. If they're going to require us to post something, we're going to post something lower because we don't want to get stuck in a range in the recruiting process. We'll make that decision as we go. And this is how companies are going to get around stupid laws like this. And let me be clear, requiring companies to post salary ranges is stupid. If you have a half a brain in the interview process pretty early on, you can ask the same very question. And depending on how they respond, you can use that leverage or you can say, this is not worth my time. I'm walking out. But in our desire for convenience and our desire for comparison, that's what's behind these stupid laws. About 30 to 40 percent of employers are not complying with these new state laws. Good for them. This is according to Revilio Labs, a workforce analytics firm. The compliance rate sits near 70% in the states that have had laws in place since 2021. Again, these companies are dragging their feet. And in this case, and again, I'm a law-abiding citizen, but this kind of stupid law, they need to drag their feet. They need to be challenging it in court. Why? Well, where, where this is going is that with this younger generation, talking about pay is no longer taboo. These states and local ju- jurisdictions are requiring employers to post salary ranges and as a result, everybody's comfortable or these younger people are comfortable talking about what they make with their peers. And 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 younger workers, Gen Z specifically, according to this study, are demanding pay transparency. Why? Well, I'll tell you. Because they think they're not being fairly treated and they want to know what everybody else's business is. But here's the news. You can't put that horse back in the barn. If you've ever found out, and I've taken calls on the show where our callers have found out accidentally 
that someone that's been there less than them or younger than them, less experienced, is making more money, and it kills them. They never recover from it, and they're going to leave automatically. That is that is not information that everybody should know. It is a culture killer. It's a bad idea, and you shouldn't do it, companies. And you that want to know the pay, trust me, it's not something you want to know. I don't think you should know the day you're dying either. No, that's good for any of us. This is The Ken Coleman Show. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.